0: For me hunting public land is, is, uh, is more of a challenge and that feeling of success with an over the counter tag is something I, I feel like I can tip my hat to and as far as being successful I think a lot of uh, research, scouting, studying and, and just boots on the ground in, in those public land hunting areas that you're able to go to is a, a big key for, for being successful or if you want to be successful.
1: To the rna outdoors podcast propelled by ripcord aero rests at rna we are public land diy conservationists that love to share our passion for the outdoors so join us and our team as we speak with experts in the industry to share insight knowledge that helps make hunters and anglers more successful
0: Good evening, listeners. This is Brandon Williams, public land DIY outdoorsman, and you're listening to the RNA Outdoors podcast. Ba-pow.
1: You know exactly what I mean when I say strap it on. He's as cold as ice. <laughs> did you just call me number one. Yeah, I did. That doesn't happen too often. Yeah, I killed over
0: 100 turkeys in my lifetime. Last weekend, I killed a huge one in
1: WTF. That's what we call it. What input are you, Williams? I don't know. You just said I was number one. Keep talking. Uh there he goes, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> That's cute. Not as cute
0: as you. That's the, how's that elk steak taste coming oh, back up? Beautiful. You gotta tell me what you put in that. Rocky Mountain Elk Steak. About a three day cure. Susie Q, uh Worcester and a little uh, brown sugar, I think.
1: Got some wort, eh? Car- caramelize it. Yeah, you would caramelize it. Caramelizes when it cooks. <laughs> Podcast number, I'm not sure, but I know that. 18. Is it 18? Hmm. Well, I'm not sure it's 18 because, well, we'll make it 18. Well,
0: there was, there's been 17 published. So that's that's true.
1: Seven. But this may come out in like, you know, a few weeks. So that may push it to like 19. But, well, we're on location here in an undisclosed location in California and uh we're actually out uh, chasing turkeys chasing Eurasian dovetail spring cotton, go- spring gobblers spring gobblers coyotes wild pigs tule elk black-tailed deer i mean what else quail no shortage of, no shortage of game this year we've seen a few things out here in this undisclosed location but uh anyway welcome greeting listeners this is the rna outdoors podcast hosted by yours truly mr lucas paw and we are broadcasting to you from our own public lands that we own i own my guest here's got a little skin in the game as well and we're uh we're running after spring gobblers and it's been uh quite a few days out here in the sticks here in public lands of california you don't hear that very often said where those two words are synonymous californian public lands but i'll tell you what part of our discussion tonight is based around public land hunting in california which is pretty cool so anyway the most important part of our podcast is to tell you about our title sponsor so thursday afternoon I get home from work and there's a box at the door and I look at the door at the look at the box and it's got a, a big sticker on it that says ripcord arrow rest I'm thinking wow that's cool so I kicked the box open and got some got some goods got some hats shirts stickers and uh, oh by golly a new ripcord ace arrow rest for the new halon that's coming in so Title sponsor Ripcord Arrow Rest, the bowhunter's number one away rest on the market. Uh, as most of you know, Ripcord, or may or may not know, they're actually based in Dillon, Montana, near and dear to to our heart. We know we've spent a little time yes, we up have. in southwestern Montana, but Ripcord is a brand that bowhunters trust. Um, and you know, most all of anything. I mean, they're they're a small company, but they they make a really great product, and uh, you can actually see more about. Um, Ripcord Rest on their website. So you can check them out, ripcordarrowrest.com. They've got multiple social media feeds, but we're happy to support Keith uh, in what he's got going on just as much as uh, he is willing to help us out a little bit and be our title sponsor for the podcast. So thanks, Ripcord. Thanks, Keith. Um, we'll continue to hopefully keep a, a good partnership going forward. So as we get into episode number not sure exactly but could be number 18 according to my guest Um, we're going to sit down with uh, actually a fellow outdoorsman a good friend of mine um, was the best man in his wedding he's actually uh, a friend of the podcast and uh, was actually um, co-hosted on podcast number one which was our debut podcast we did in Polaris Montana on our elk hunt Um, Brandon Williams um, is a good friend of mine. Like I said, I met Brandon many years ago. We kind of hit it off playing softball. Next thing you know, we start talking about hunting. And next thing you know, he's in the backwoods packing elk out with me in <laughs> southwest Montana. But um, Brandon's newly wed. Um, he's soon to be father with his first son on the way. So he's pretty jazzed about that. And I was able to steal him away for a couple nights to go chase turkeys uh, out in the middle of nowhere in California. But his passion for the outdoors and public land DIY hunting and fishing is shown through his efforts. He supports conservation. He supports the Second Amendment. Uh, He supports all things that have to do uh, with being in the outdoors and ensuring that those things are there, hopefully for his son in the future. So with that, um, I want to welcome... The wounded knee himself, Mr. Brandon Williams, to the RNA Outdoors podcast. Thanks for having me, Lucas. Welcome. So how you feeling? I'm feeling pretty
0: good. It's been a good weekend so far. We've We haven't was, been successful yet, but no. we've been successful seeing game and hearing game and <clears throat>
1: and getting into the middle of them, so
0: looking yeah, we'll, looking
1: forward to tomorrow. We'll recap a little bit on our last couple of days, but it's been it's been an interesting couple of days, let's just put it that way there's been no shortage of game seen out, uh, on the, uh, the Western fronts of California. <clears throat> so we're actually also, um, here with our friends from Woodford reserve. So <clears throat> we've got some double Oak, uh, Woodford reserve, uh, happening right now. So <clears throat> that's the one thing that I think keeps us going in the backwoods is a little bit of bourbon. So, Anyway, um, to kick off the show, I'm going to ask Brandon some questions, so as we do, we do the quick draw, question and answer, and we're just going to go through a series of questions, and uh, basically Brandon will will give us his answer, and we can talk about some of them as we go, but again, the intent is is to kind of get to understand the guest know Brandon a little bit uh and also know um you know some of the ways that he would you know pick some of these questions that that we're going to ask him so the first question I'm going to ask is if you could hunt either public land or private land what would you prefer for me it'd have to be public land there's just that sense of
0: satisfaction knowing that you can go out there and get an over-the-counter tag and and uh through all the difficulties it is in in, here in california to hunt on public land it's just that satisfaction of being successful
1: when you do i mean when you introduced yourself you said i'm a public land diy outdoorsman so if you just said (laughs) private land i would have had to reach across the table (laughs) okay turkey or quail what would you rather shoot um this is my second year turkey hunting
0: and i've got the itch now so i'm gonna have to have to tell you that i'm gonna have to transition
1: to turkey you got the bug now, don't you? Yes, You're I do. addicted, especially after today. If you had to pick between archery or rifle season, what would you do?
0: Um it depends on the species, I guess. So but I'm I've transitioned from rifle hunting to archery as you know. Mm-hmm. Um I haven't been arch, I haven't been rifle hunting in quite a few years now besides uh deer last year, but other than that it's been solely archery for me for the last three or four years. Quite the archery that you've turned into, yeah. A Bit of a marksman. It, hap- it happened. Uh, it happened fairly quickly. And two for two, been successful so far.
1: Okay, if you're hunting turkeys, would you rather spot and stalk or use decoys? Um, being fairly new still, spot and stalk, especially
0: after this weekend, seems pretty difficult. So i i would I would probably prefer
1: decoys and calling. Yeah. Yeah, the decoys make it fun when they come into the decoys and they start hammering them. Feathered elk. That's right. So if you had the option at a neck shot or a body shot, if you had either one, you either had them coming at you straight on, head up, or you had them broadside, what would you take? What shot?
0: Neck shot would be a little tougher. I'd have to go with the body shot. Gives you a little bit bigger of a range to
1: aim small, miss small, but... I'd have to go with the body shot. Would you? Where would you kind of go for on the body? Any particular area on the turkey?
0: Um, probably right as the neck meets the breast. Okay, right in that triangle there.
1: Not. It's what I've seen anyway. The vital area is tiny on a turkey. Right. You know, they got a small heart, small lungs, but they even got a smaller brain. So, you know, we can (laughs) outsmart them. Um, If you had to pick a season, whether it be fall or spring turkey season, what would it be? Um, I've only hunted spring so far
0: so i don't know what fall brings to the table but i'd have to choose spring just because that's where my experience is at
1: well the one beauty of fall turkey season is is um you can shoot hens in the fall season you can shoot bearded non-bearded so and even some hens have beards but uh so that's kind of cool i mean if you're out there looking to you know put some Organic meat on the table. The fall season gives you that. The only downside of the fall season is it's only like two to three weeks. It's really really short, so it doesn't last very long. Okay, would you shoot a Jake, which is kind of a juvenile male, about a two year old? Absolutely. So I, I don't
0: have a turkey under my belt yet. I'm still working on it. It's my second year, so if uh if it's legal, I'm going to take it, and uh, it's going to be my trophy. So yeah, I'm sure moving forward, I'll I'll probably try to wait for a gobbler. Or, Something uh, that's more mature, but as of right now, yes, I would shoot a jake.
1: Nothing wrong with shooting a jake. Turkey breast or leg for dinner? What would you rather take?
0: Uh, it's something about grabbing that leg and just tearing the meat off. Yeah, you that's, do like the turkey legs,
1: don't you? <laughs> How about dark meat for the barbecue or for the dog? Um,
0: I've always been a fan of dark meat, so I'd have to put it on the barbecue.
1: Okay. Turkey on the barbecue, oven baked or fried? If you had the option,
0: um, hmm,
1: that's a good one. I'd have
0: to go with barbecue. Just something about barbecuing on the grill at home and just gives it uh, that ambiance around the household, and
1: it always tastes good. So we put we barbecued up that bird I got last year. Yes, we did. That was pretty tasty. Yes, absolutely. A little brown sugar. Of course, there was some honey, other, honey, yeah. brown sugar, some seasonings. Yeah, that was that was tasty. All right, box call or a mouth read palette plate? You have a preference? Uh, box call. You're kind of working that old nightingale. Yeah, you're I'm starting start, to. I'm starting to get used to. You're it. Starting to get that little cluck <laughs> and purr going. In the last question, I think you already answered it, but you said you haven't ever harvested a turkey. Then no, no, I have not yet. I've not yet
0: harvested a wild turkey. So prior to last year. Like I was telling you, probably Friday or Thursday night, even Lucas. I always uh, every time I would see a turkey, I just wouldn't pay attention. Turkey just didn't do it for me. Mm-hmm. And then we were in there scouting for wild hogs that that weekend a couple years ago, and said, "Hey, let's just throw a turkey call out and see if we can get them to come over." And sure enough, they they flew they flew right over the river and landed right next to us. So. That was all it was. That's all it took for me. So
1: now, now I got the bug. So. That was pretty cool. Yeah, threw was. out just a little yelp, and that tom pitched out of the tree and started <laughs> rounding up all those hens. That was pretty cool. That's all it took. Yep. So recap. So we've been out here. We got out here Thursday. We did um, a little hunting Friday. We did a little scouting Friday. And then so we went in today, and we were going after – Turkey, so we got in there in first, right at first light what'd we start hearing Ugh. nothing but
0: nothing but gobbles, and it wasn't even I don't even think it was first light yet it was still
1: no. still almost dark it was still dark, and the turkeys were still on the roofs, but they were gobbling the hens were yelping, and so. they were just lighting off to each other that was that was pretty exciting, yeah, so we kind of dropped in on them and we were basically pushing them most of the morning we didn't really get a option to set up we did set up one time and tried to get them on a call in on some decoys and just didn't make it happen but that fir- that first setup that we had i i started blood started pumping through my veins pretty
0: good because it sounded like they were coming pretty close and then and they started getting farther away and every time we tried to get on them it seems like they always kept on going so
1: yeah that one was gobbling i mean he he probably was within 100 yards of us he was probably just on that opposite side of the river bottom where we eventually got to but those turkeys were all you know moving to the south is kind of where they were going across the the river and which we didn't really find out about till we got across the river right and then we started working our way across the river and what we see as we as we drove in on that road oh lo and
0: behold that's where all the other hunters
1: were so yeah obviously they knew something that we that we hadn't known yet yeah so we got in there and we were actually kind of working our way out and uh we spotted a hen coming off the hill and then as we were basically we stopped we started glassing a little bit and then we started hearing that bird just gobble and he just kept gobbling and gobbling like non-stop wouldn't stop. and uh so we got out and we actually worked our way up and tried to do a setup on that bird and uh, never was able to see that bird come down. But um, he, I bet he gobbled probably fifty times.
0: Oh, at and least he was,
1: every time uh, every time he, there was a noise, he got he
0: he let out a gobble. And so. he
1: was just you know up that draw, a hundred yards from us. I think I ranged. There was a tree there. I ranged it at like ninety yards. So. I mean he was within probably 100 to 150 yards but never oh, yeah. did expose himself. He gobbled so much it sounded so close that I think I remember looking at you at one point and going how have we not seen this gobbler yet? Yeah. So we kind of we kind of gave up on him and and came back for the afternoon. And the afternoon was pretty crazy. I mean it was even more intense, absolutely. So we you know, we drove in and, and started seeing birds back in the same spot. We got out, we immediately, had immediately two, yeah. two hens within what, eight to ten yards of us. Yeah. Just feeding. And uh we kept driving down the road and stopped, saw more hens, and then you finally saw your first tom. Yes. And that Tom was pushing those hens kinda of back up into that ridge. So then we backed out again and we were coming back out and we ran into old uh BWD. Big wave, Dave. Old National Wild Turkey Federation Dave. Yeah. Dave's a good man. He and told he, us that he'd been hunting this area and this location since he was 16, So, which puts him at least 40 years, I would say, hunting this area or longer. He said he can't remember how many turkeys he's killed, but it's at least over 100. Yeah, he's killed over 100 turkeys. Um, he's here every weekend. He killed one last weekend. He killed one this morning. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of knowledge base in that guy. So uh, we sat and kind of talked to him, and as we were talking to him, next thing you know, you look over to the right, you start hearing gobbles, and there he is. It's incredible. Mr. Tommy Two-Tones comes running down with four jakes, <laughs> pushing them within 50 yards of us, right? Pushes them up the hill. Then he comes back down the hill and pushes them back, basically was coming towards us. I bet had we not split off, from talking to, to Dave, I bet that turkey would have come right to us. Oh yeah, I'm sure. But you were getting pretty antsy. <laughs> you had your tr- you had your finger on the trigger the whole time. Oh man. Yep. Yeah, you were you were pretty excited. So anyway, nonetheless, then we were driving out and saw a potload of elk, bunch of deer, just, just a cool day, cool evening. Um, weather's been great. We've got uh you know it's been sunny and and uh it's been a little cool in the morning which is kind of made for for some nice conditions first thing in the morning because it gets the animals moving but overall can't really ask for a better weekend so far and tomorrow the plan is to hopefully seal the deal on your first california rio grande that's the plan that's right we're gonna see if we can't get that done tomorrow so anyway good deal so Kind of looking at the scope of our discussion this evening, uh, we're going to talk about hunting public lands in California, and uh, it's something that, like I said, um, is kind of an oxymoron. You normally don't put the two words together, but believe it or not, there's actually quite a bit of public land opportunities to hunt in the state of California, which is where we live, and uh, although not the most desirable when you compare it to like a Montana or an Idaho or even places like Colorado that are made up of, you know, majority of land or at least half of the land is public. You know, California is like 80 to 85 percent, you know, private land with, you know, probably 15 to 20 percent public land. But, um, you know, overall, there's a lot of opportunities uh, in California to get it done, to hunt a lot of different species of animals. Um, specifically, what we're looking at right now is is hunting turkeys, which is which is a lot of fun. And as Jeff Warren would say, uh, it's the feathered elk, feathered elk, right? It's it kind of gets you through the buzz of elk hunting in the spring. So, anyway, to kind of get into our discussion, um, you know, Brandon's going to tell us a little bit about um, his background and talk about some of his experiences. We got application season coming up, so we're going to talk through some of the states that we're applying in, and then we're going to talk through some scenarios and some tactics. Some of which have actually have we've actually experienced here in the last couple of days. So it'd be kind of good to recap some of those scenarios. So with that, Brandon, um just kinda of tell us a little bit about your background, kind of a grassroots discussion on, you know, kind of what shaped you into being an outdoorsman and really where that came from. Well, for me, it all started when I was when I was a little guy. Some of my
0: fondest memories growing up were trout fishing in the sierra in the up in the sierra streams here in california with my uncle it was always uh, exciting for me to take the trip and i was always the one that never wanted to leave but uh it was one of those things that that just did it for me and and all i cared about was going on that next adventure to the mountains to try to catch that next trout and then from there i got introduced to hunting big game with a rifle and at first it was pretty discouraging for me um my first couple of adventures were pretty unsuccessful, and we didn't see much. But uh, after I got my first uh, wild boar down, that uh, that that was when I realized that my true passion was uh, was hunting. So, fishing kind of became a second uh, priority to me as I started hunting pretty hard at that from that from that point forward. And uh, the out the outdoors is has always on my mind when and where I'll. I'll take my next adventure, and uh, it's just kind of hard to explain. It's always it's always something that's just completed me as an yeah.
1: individual. So back in your days of fishing in the Sierras, I mean, were, were you guys hunting stream or fishing streams? Were you guys fishing lakes, like high some of the high peak lakes, or? Um, I never, I never really got into
0: lake fishing. We always, we always got up into the um, Peppermint Creek. We always hiked and fished the creeks down. Okay, we would catch native brookies and some planted trout, and it was always the hiking and fishing the streams for me that that's that's what I
1: was fond of as a kid and your wild pig that you shot, so that was the first big game animal that you took that with was a my, rifle
0: yep i was i think I was twenty one or twenty two so it, yeah it was uh it was right above Bakersfield, California, and up in the um soft rolling hills, okay. And you spent some time on Tahoe as well too, haven't you yeah yeah i helped I helped tahone ranch skig, uh pen, skin pigs for their pigramas um many years ago, but
1: that's the only tie I had to Tahoe when I was younger. Pig hunting's a lot of fun, you know you and I have shared a few memories pig hunting and getting out and chasing those hogs and then what a year or two ago you shot your first pig with a bow too, right yeah, last year last year, yeah. Yep. That was a good pretty good boar that you got there.
0: Yeah, I was fortunate enough to, to spot him before he spotted me, so uh the, I had the wind right and I hiked up a ridge around him and I put a good shot on him, so that was fun.
1: One of the interesting things about like our, you know, <clears throat> our story in the outdoors is there's been a lot of things that you've experienced for the first time. So I know your first experience elk hunting was with me. Um really big game hunting your first experience of fishing in a kayak which yeah i had to really i had to kind of get that get that one out of you because you weren't overly excited about doing that yeah growing growing up even when we went to
0: hawaii with my family i i just i was the child that wouldn't get in the ocean just because i had that fear of what was beneath me so to speak so getting out on that kayak with you was uh was definitely one of the hurdles for me so yeah but it ended up being a good time that was a
1: good day I'm trying to think of what other firsts we've had. Uh, turkey last year. Yeah. Turkey hunting. What we're doing now. So Yep. Elk hunting. Elk hunting, yeah. It seems like there's a few more, but I'm thinking the more Woodford Reserve that goes down the hatch, the less I remember. <laughs> so, cool. Um, so, talking a little bit about, you know, California and really specifically those public land hunting opportunities you know there's obviously a lot of real estate on the sierras you know you can basically get lost in the sierras both the east side and the west side but um most of the areas that we all have access to in terms of public land hunting opportunities i mean what does california have to offer in your opinion for for those public land opportunities well for me california public land hunting
0: is very unique in a sense that there's plenty of it, but it comes with it definitely comes with its challenges. There's over a million acres of fish and wildlife habitat here, and that's managed through like 711 properties throughout the state. So, and these and those properties provide a rich habitat for the diversity of fish and wildlife. So, it's uh, it's there for the taking, you just uh, it's how hard you want to work and
1: and what you want to go after. You know, where we live on the central coast of California, it's tough to find public land, right? I mean, pretty much any direction you look when you drive Highway 101, I mean, is is private land. Absolutely. And uh, it makes it tough because, you know, growing up in Montana like myself, I mean, you could just get out of town and basically get lost in public land and not see anyone and, you know, pretty much go out. And if you want to shoot coyotes, you could do a lot of things that um, you wanted to do, but you know, here in California, it's a little different. Um, there are opportunities and there is public land, um, you know, access in California, but you know, it's very spotty. There's, you know, there's a few locations that the state manages, um, locally in the area that we live in. Um, there's some public land opportunities in Northern California that you can get into and hunt. I know, uh, you know, Jason's been on the podcast. He's a friend of the podcast and also one of my co-hosts. And, uh, he's got some places up in Northern California that, that he takes his kids and they go, they go deer hunting, blacktail deer hunting in public land. But, um, you know, California is not to the same caliber as, you know, a Montana or, you know, Colorado, or even some parts of Utah, but, California does have some good opportunities, I think, for the, you know, public land, DIY outdoorsman. And, uh, you know, if you do a little research, you know, like we've done, um, you tend to find some of those spots in the and, state. And that was the thing for me, like, just even moving from from where I'm at now
0: from the valley, it you had to do your research to figure out where those public, public land opportunities were because if you – if you didn't know about, I mean, everybody knows where the national forests are for the most part, but those other managed, um, like the state, wild, land. Yeah, the state lands and the wildlife, um, the wildlife pieces and stuff like that. If you don't know where those are at, then, I mean, you'll never have that opportunity to go see what's out there. So yeah, I definitely think research is a big key to being successful.
1: Yeah. And the s- scary thing now is, is what's happening with, with some of the House bills around privatizing, you know, state lands and really taking lands from the federal government and privatizing it to where, um, you know, the states can do basically whatever they want with the land. One of the things I was reading about this H.R., um, it was the 621 bill. It was talking about when the state lands get privatized, um, literally you have to have a permit to walk your dog on some of these lands. And that's what they're doing in some of these other states where they're privatizing the land. I mean, the, the permit fees and the requirements to get on the land is just ridiculous. And it's all, and basically what the state's trying to do is generate revenue. And that's the sad thing because, you know, they can't manage their money anyway. So now they're going to take a public resource that's been managed, you know, fairly for years and uh, make it to where it's no longer a privilege that we used to have. So it's kind of scary, but, there's a lot of good things happening in that space, fighting off some of, some of that legislation. So, um, the good news is, is it's here to, it's here right now and we need to enjoy it while it's here. So, so moving on around the state of California, it's been a rather anomaly of a year based on precipitation. Um, you know, we're, we're reaping some of that benefit right now, just doing some of the spring hunting that we're doing, but, in the recent years, I would say in the last five to seven years, uh, we've been in a very significant drought. And um, it's taken a toll, not only on the landscape, but it's taken a toll on the animals, you'll notice that, uh, you know, the, the quality, the trophy class quality of animals has been down. Um, The number of animals has been down just based on the drought. Uh, And it's been tough uh, in the years past. But or I think we're seeing this year is, is, you know, kind of a regeneration of a lot of those animals. The problem is it's been such a drought, you know, state for the last three to five years that it's trying to make up for that. So talking about the drought specific, um, you know, what effects has it had on the state, um, you know, in the previous years? And what are we, what, I guess, what can we look forward to in the upcoming years? Well, for me, the California drought has left the state scrambling to provide
0: water for virtually more than 40 million residents. So what does that tell you about the fish and wildlife? And and then the other part of it is the death of over 12 million trees on all the national forests alone. That's damaged uh, lots of living conditions for small animals abroad that live in wooded areas. So there's one thing for sure. Spe- species large and small have been forced to share the same watering holes, which increases risk for a spreading disease and, and any other case that, that goes along with that. So even as this drought drought has worsened, large uh, mammals picked up and moved elsewhere to find feed and water. So the effects of that are obviously going to be, they're going to have more encounters with uh, our, us as human neighbors. So that's just a few, few items that I've touched on about that. There's probably a lot more, but it uh it wasn't unusual to go hunt in an area of public land like me and you, Lucas, and in the past three or four years and and not see any water or any game for that matter. So yeah. it's been pretty detrimental
1: to California as a whole. Yeah. And you know, the, the downside is is I look at like turkeys as an example, you know. Um when there's not a lot of underbrush and a lot of growth, um, you know, the babies are really hard to survive because Um, you know, when the, when the hens lay their eggs and then the chicklets come out and that's just like prime real estate for the hawks and the coyotes and all the other predators. So it hasn't enabled, um, the turkey population to grow because there hasn't been an ability for the animals to, to basically have a life, you know, beyond less than probably a few months. And I also look at like, you know, the deer and the elk and the difference in the, in the in the uh, antler quality just based on you know not having any feed, not having any grass, not having any water I mean these animals will literally pool up around one central location to get water which is tough like you said because there is ability to spread disease and other types of things that that can be detrimental to the animals but one of the things you're also seeing with the turkeys specific to the drought, is for about the last two to three years, um, you know, you're seeing a lot of jakes. And, uh, you know, the the juvenile two- to three-year-old jakes are um, kind of a, you know, a suspect of what's happened with the drought for the last few years because it hasn't really given them the ability to, to, to grow. Uh, but I think this year what we're going to see is, uh, you know, with this year, as positive as it's been, and then into next year, I think we're going to see a lot of growth and a lot of birds that uh, we haven't seen, you know, in years prior. And this year specifically, I mean, we were looking at the river today. It was unbelievable—the flow in the river.
0: It's so it's so nice to finally see water everywhere you look. I mean, we we couldn't even cross a river because it was deeper than we were,
1: and we're used to seeing sand. Exactly. So. Walk right through, and the green—the element of green on the, on the mountainside right now is pretty impressive yeah grass grass up to your mm-hmm. knees plenty of plenty of uh,
0: places to hide and for turkeys to lay their eggs and
1: animals for feed and it's looking good out there yeah yeah it's something that unfortunately we say we're not used to, but when you look at like almost every riverbed there's some element of water or had been water in it uh, we've been looking at a lot of um, river bottoms and looking for turkey tracks and amongst the turkey tracks you'll see a lot of different um, erosion from the water that's been through there so it's been a good year and uh, the hope we're hopeful that we may get one more maybe one or two more rainstorms to kind of keep the spring season going we've still got well over a, a month to even a month and a few weeks left of turkey season so the more water the more cooler weather um, the more green grass we can have, the better for, for those animals. So, okay. So
0: there's, some, there's something to be said for having an anomaly year and having lots of water
1: because all of a sudden we're seeing a lot of game, so that's yeah. a good thing. Yeah, it is. I've, I've seen more game this year than, I mean, I wouldn't say in years past combined, but, I mean, when you drive through a field and you count close to 50 bull elk that are all <laughs> incredible in velvet right now. I mean, the hope there is, is that, you know, with this season and with this, with this amount of grass that we have, that they're going to grow some, you know, some pretty good sets of, you know, antlers that will have the ability to, to hopefully see some nice trophy elk in this area, but we'll just have to see, you know, genetics is a big piece of that, but definitely having good growth this year will, will help those animals, so so speaking of public land, so you've done a fair amount of public land hunting, not only in California but even outside of California. You've hunted in Idaho. You've spent a lot of time mule deer hunting in Idaho. Um, you've obviously elk hunted in Montana. Well, that was our podcast number one, and you hunted last year and the year prior with me, public land hunting. Um, but you know, thinking about you know where you've come from in your hunting process, and thinking about really you know what drives someone a to start hunting on public land and when you're on public land in your view what makes a person successful as being a hunter on public land well I think for me hunting public land is
0: is uh is more of a challenge and that feeling of success with an over-the-counter tag is something I, I feel like I can tip my hat to and as far as being successful I think Uh, being persistent is a big key to success and a lot of uh, research scouting studying and and just boots on the ground in in those public land hunting areas that you're able to go to is a, a big key for for being successful or if you want to be successful so I mean sure there is there is people out there that that go out there for the first time and something walks in front of them there's always those cases but as far as being consistently successful I think I think, uh, your research and studying and scouting and
1: just persistence and being out there is, is the key. So. Yeah. Your experiences in Idaho, I mean, you, you hunted some pretty big masses of property in Idaho that was all public land. I mean, yeah. what experiences did you have when you were spending time up in Idaho? Uh,
0: my, my experiences in Idaho were, um, were independent experiences which were pretty cool and i learned a lot on my own doing that i hunted uh the brakes on the salmon so i'm sure you're pretty familiar with that it's it's very unforgiving country Straight up and so. down yeah and uh those experiences were uh a lot different than here in california there's a there's a lot of game in in idaho and it's big country so i think uh you can just get out on a point and in an area like that and it's kind of more of a spot in stock so you had to learn uh how to do that and i had to learn how to do it on my own and it was uh it was fun i haven't been back for a few years but i'm looking
1: forward to it again in the future and you're primarily mule deer hunting when you go back to idaho
0: mule deer hunting yes yeah okay. and that the tag's good for whitetail too so i was uh i was looking for either species so that made it uh that made it
1: more fun as well hmm when you think about, you know, make someone successful um, on public land, you know, specifically hunting public land, um, does it always matter that somebody finds or shoots the biggest animal? I mean, what what to use a measure of success on public lands? Is it notching the tag, or is it having a you know having a good adventure? Or I mean, what what are your thoughts around no success? Me, my definition
0: of success for me would be. Put, putting yourself in the best opportunity to have the shot or to scout or find the game that you're looking for i think success is measured for me as filling the tag um i'm not a trophy hunter yet i probably will be as the future progresses but for me right now success is putting yourself uh putting yourself to up for that shot to be, to be successful. So, and that takes persistence.
1: So, yeah. Well, clearly, I mean, in, in the past, I mean, you've always said, you know, I'll shoot a raghorn. I don't need to shoot a big bull. (laughs) I mean, you're in for the experience, but you're in it for, you know, you've got a family to feed, you've got a, a year's worth of mouths to feed and that's the important part. I think that's what drives people to me to be successful is, you know, that, end game of harvesting an animal to where you've got that ability to share that animal for the you know next six to eight months you know it doesn't always have to be the biggest animal but
0: yeah and i think uh for me it's the the a true definition of a trophy for me is something that makes me feel successful or that like you said feeds the family so there is those trophies obviously that i'm that i'm seeking after but as far as being successful, I, I would I would feel my tag instead of yeah. holding
1: out. When in doubt. Adventure out. Adventure out. <laughs> That's right. I was just saying for the weekend, so... Okay. Um, speaking of... Well, so we're out here spring turkey hunting, but also, um, you know, throughout the course of your deer season, thinking about some of the gear that you use, um, it probably doesn't vary too much uh, because conditions are somewhat similar deer season in California is really hot so um, you know probably some of the garment selection might change but um, with respect to you know general season turkey hunting and deer season um, what type of gear do you prefer and any reason why you prefer some of that gear well for me spring starts out
0: like it is this weekend in the 70s and you go through deer season in the hundreds here in California. So I really I really only use the one set of gear here in California and, and I prefer uh I'm a first light guy, so that light morena wool works perfectly fine for me. It it keeps you warm even on the lighter uh pieces lighter garments, it still keeps you warm and in the if it is colder and when it's hot it uh it breathes pretty well. The Morena wool does, so mm-hmm. it keeps you cool as well at the same time. So I'd prefer uh, I'd prefer first
1: light for spring through deer season here. Yeah, this morning it was like what thirty, thirty six degrees, thirty five degrees I think. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was morning. pretty chilly first thing this morning, and then we're out chasing gobblers at four thirty this afternoon. And it's like seventy degrees, and that's what I found. I've I I got my first set of first light Asat pants in. Uh, 2010, I think 2010 or 2011. And uh, I've been a believer ever since wearing, um, you know, multiple types of camo. I've got the ASAT set. I've got the MAX 1 set, pretty much everything from the knab pants all the way up to the puffy jacket and uh, has always kind of been a go-to for me uh, in Montana. Um, What I really like about Merino wool is, to your point, you can wear it in lots of different climates. The only downside to merino wool is is when you get it wet, um, it's hard to dry. You yeah. know, yeah, and uh, you know, especially when it's hot and if you are sweating, um, it it it's just hard to dry. But the beauty of wool is is the scent control. And I think that's one of the primary reasons why we like it so much. Is you know you can wear it three four days and you still cover up a lot of that scent that in a lot of your um, synthetic you know, type, um, fabrics, it's hard to cover up that scent after a couple of days. I mean, if you're out trudging in 90 degree weather, I mean, you're just going to be stinky and stuff's going to stink and it's hard to cover that smell up. How, uh, how joyful were you when I bought my first, my first
0: set of first light after showing up to hunting camp with cologne on?
1: Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I, we may have touched on this on, uh, the first podcast, but I think you showed up and we were actually going deer hunting and, uh, no, me you come into the house and it smelled like we were going to the club. I'm thinking, <laughs> okay, so I got to teach him a lesson. So we're out like literally hunting and I can smell him like probably 10, 15 yards away. And, uh, he smelled like a big old bottle of preferred stock. So <laughs> I for, think, I think you turned around
0: and said, are you wearing deodorant? I said, yeah, isn't that what most men do? And I think we just turned around and we kept walking. <laughs>
1: yeah so we we got we got your note up a little bit and then you started figuring out how to wash your clothes with nonsense and oh yeah and I've, I've got it all you've, now you've got you've got it all dialed in at 20 you got the I plastic mean, I,
0: bags I went as far as toothpaste but I don't know about that it's kind yeah of the gross. toothpaste is
1: kind of nasty <laughs>
0: is
1: that the dead downwind yeah oh, yeah yeah I think all they do is they take the pit stick and then they like heat it up and put it into a liquid form and put it in the tube (laughs) it's pretty nasty but yeah um so that's kind of your camouflage is there any other gear that you use um eberly stock pack okay it's a great pack
0: it always has been for me it's worked well for anything that i need it folds up to three and a half four pounds i can use the top as a fanny pack and it's a frame pack it's got um Load straps on it to keep everything high and tight and
1: and just right. What have you packed out of that? With that,
0: um, a couple elk, a mule deer. Um, it's,
1: uh, I haven't I haven't had I haven't had to pack out a pig yet, but I'm sure I will sooner. It's or had later. a couple elk in it though. Yes, it has. That's the sp- that's the spider Epperly stock, I believe. No, isn't that the blue blue widow or the, the yeah? This is the blue, blue widow. widow. Yeah. JP nine. It's a nice pack. Glenn makes some good packs. Yeah, they've got the aluminum frame. The one you know, the one thing about everybody's stock is the 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 buckles and the stitching are second to none. The only downside is is they're a little heavy. Right, just for the for yeah, the base dry yeah. for the base dry weight yeah. of the pack. Yeah. But you know, when you start loading it up, putting weight in those things, they're they're bulletproof. Yeah, they're solid.
0: I mean, we had 100-plus in that pack. I mean, the straps were just loaded down, and it kept the weight high on my shoulders. And yeah, load lifters are nice to I'm, have. I'm not going to say it
1: was easy walking out, but it made it easier. Yeah. No, they're great packs. I've had my Just One for quite a few years, and uh you used it and packed out a mule deer in Idaho, I think. I did. That was 2014. Yeah. Yep. You were kind of in the bottom of nowhere, and— Packed up that yeah. mule deer, and
0: yeah, I actually, I actually was able to pack out a whole mule deer with that one pack. Did you bone? Have to bone it down? I did I, did. I, I boned, I boned the rears. I got the back straps and tendies, and I kept the fronts so, with the bone on them. Gotcha. I had, I had one front in my hand, but everything else I
1: was able to squeeze in that pack, so that was nice. Okay. So you said you've kind of picked up the archery. So, what kind of bow are you shooting? uh Hoyt. Okay. That's the, the Spider Turbo. And then you've got uh you're what kind of arrows you shooting? and Axis 400s. Okay. Nice. Yeah. You got what kind of sight you got on there? Um it's Is it a Trophy Ridge, I think. Yeah, Trophy Ridge, yeah. Five Is it a 5 pin Trophy Ridge. Yeah. 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 True ball release you're shooting. Yeah, and I got the QAD rest. So. Yeah. That's a nice setup. That bow shoots pretty solid. Yeah, it rips. I like it.
0: I've done well so far. I mean, I was I was dialed in at 20 last year, but
1: I guess every hunting trip has its ups and downs. Yeah, so in Montana, I've told this story a couple times, but we were parked up on top of this ridge, and we literally had you shoot your bow, like, midstream, because you were just, you were a mental case. So you kept shooting, and literally your first arrow missed the target. At 20 yards. At 20 yards, you. and then you were, like, hitting it all over the place so i'm like give me that damn bow so i take it and shoot it and right just where you aimed pinwheeled right in the center and i was like i looked at you i'm like hey man it's not the bow <laughs> and that just totally <laughs> that to- bugged that, you yeah that i could tell that, to- that tore me up pretty bad but you ended up getting her done so it didn't really matter but i did i you almost had to cut my
0: bowstring but i got it done
1: yeah well you know that's what friends are for Okay, and then uh, boots, probably the most important part of your gear setup. What uh, what boots do you, are you repping right now? Well, first off, I have to thank you for introducing
0: me to the Kennetrex world. Okay. Because I've never been the type to believe in spending that kind of money on a boot, but I'm a true believer in you get what you pay for now because the gear, First Light, Everly really Stock, the... Um, the Kenan boots. It's all. I mean, it's the comf- It's the most comfortable set of clothes I own. It's the most comfortable boots I own, and it's the most comfortable pack I ever have on my back. So, yeah. and that's something to be said for when you're out in the mountains, and when when you don't know how long you're going to be out there for. So, and you're running the mountain you
1: know, extreme. Yes, 400 four hundred insulated. Four hundreds. Yeah. yeah, those are great boots.
0: <laughs> Waterproof. You can. You don't even have to worry about it. If no. as long as it's, as long as it's not tar in your boot, or if you have gaiters on, you can. It's like you're wearing waders. So yeah, that's you're nice. fully
1: sealed. I got, yeah. I ran my first set on my trip to New Zealand, and I literally, I think I bought them in February, and my trip was in April, and I had done a little bit of breaking on them, but we literally started out hunting tar, and uh, straight up the mountain, it was just crazy, and what's weird about those boots to me is, is they're, they're big and kind of bulky, but they're significantly light. Light. And the the thing for me is they're engineered so well that it feels like
0: every step you take it gives you it gives you kind of like a bounce towards your next step
1: already, mm-hmm. so they're they're amazing. I like them yeah no they're good boots. I mean there's a lot of good boots on the market I mean um, Crispies are similar Crispies are good boots, Lathrop and Sons are good boots um, there's a there's a ton of boots you know they've got ones now that they literally will send you a mold, put your feet in it, and they'll build the boot. Around what, which one what's that La called? sportiva makes one that you literally they'll send you the mold, and I think Lathrop and Sons does the same thing, and you put your foot in it, you pour the mold in, and then you basically send them that, and they build the boot specific to those details, but you know you're talking eight hundred to a thousand dollars, you know, oh, wow. whereas you can get into a you know a good set of kind for four hundred ish four hundred four to five hundred bucks a little over five yeah is that what you paid for yours mm-hmm. okay, yeah, so. Um, So a lot of good gear there. Um, My gear setup is very similar to yours. I run a couple different types of camouflage, but shoot Matthews, but, you know, potato, potato. As long as they're all straight shooters. Quick draw for you. That's right. First ladder, cool you. Um, Depends. Yeah, so it depends on the situation right now hunting in the environment we're in and the color we're in the kuyu verde there's no question um i really like the uh ultralight um you know athletic feel of kuyu or sitka more more of that style of camouflage but when it comes to you know fall archery elk hunting when you've got different waves of temperatures cold hot um i'm typically always in my first light you know and based on everything from my Lano all the way up to my Halstead fleece. I mean, I can be in any one of those garments in the fall. But, um, yeah, I'm I'm on the fence. I've, I've been a First Light guy for a lot of years, and um, you know, I've kept in contact with a lot of the guys at First Light, and I think they're good guys. But I tell you, it's hard to, be, to keep up with the technology of what Kuyu's doing right now with... Just all of their equipment, all their gear. I mean, their game bags are just unbelievable game. I mean, all the little things that Kuyu does, it's hard. They're making it hard to compete, you know. And the other thing about Kuyu is, is you know, they don't go through retailers, it's direct sale. Yeah, you know, through them, yeah. Yep, to the customer. So um, and that's as a big for, deal. As far as, as far as
0: Kuyu goes, they're more traditional sizes like 30, 32, where
1: First Light is more. Small, medium, large—correct. Yeah. And it's more of a range with with first light. You almost, you almost have to try it on to make sure you've got the right size. Whereas Kuyu's pretty, pretty tight to the, to the to the measurements. So
0: yeah, I think I've been trying to talk you into
1: going to Kuyu for quite some time. Well, we had a trip planned to Dixon. <laughs> we'll make. We'll get up there. We'll get your size. We'll get you a whole setup. Your wife won't want to know how much you spent on it, but, you know. Okay. Um, Speaking about, so continuing on our discussion around public lands, especially here in California, prime example today, you know, we get into a spot and we park and we're like, okay, cool. We don't see anyone else. We get in there. Next thing you know, what do you see on the horizon? You see two guys walking through, just yelping the whole way on a box call. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we actually thought there was hens on the ridge. Yeah, actually wasn't a bad caller. but So then we back out of that area, and we go into this second undisclosed area. And uh, how many vehicles did we see going in there? We saw four. And then a couple parked on that ridge that we came up to. Yeah, a couple more on the ridge. So, you know, what, what makes it tough about hunting public lands is it's how crowded it is, you know, and especially here in California, there's not a lot of public land. So when you've got a weekend like this weekend where you've got a lot of people out hunting it, it tends to have to change your tactic a little bit. And when you think about that here in California, on public lands, you know, how do you, or, or how do you envision your tactic maybe changing based on the dynamic of, of having crowds out here in the public lands?
0: Uh, let's see. My task, my tactics for public lands would be, to To get to the path less traveled, I think uh, I think you'd want you want to try to get off the beaten path and study the landscape as far as sign and tracks and and where the water is, etc. I was reading uh, a Jeff Warren article on hunting fool a couple of days ago, and and uh, he was talking about the same thing with public lands, and he uh, he strongly advised to go where they aren't speaking uh, speaking with fellow hunters. So
1: yeah. Well, when you think about with all the the folks, I mean, most people who, you know, drive a vehicle and hunt don't get out of the vehicle. So you've got, you know, 50% of them whooped and then you've got the other 50% that actually get out of the truck. And, you know, kind of a rule of thumb has always been, if you can get a mile away from a road, typically, you know, you're going to get into places that, you know, 80 plus percent of the population will never go. But the dynamic to the kind of the mountain athlete has changed and you're now seeing a lot of these guys that do some pretty extreme, you know, backcountry hunts where I mean, it's not uncommon for these guys to pack in, you know, 5 to 7 to 10 miles, which we do that stuff too, but um you know, when you get into places like that and I know you saw it last year in Montana yeah. the change in the, the the amount of quality of game in those locations when you actually get away from the road and away from people oh it's it's incredible i mean if you have the drive to, to want to do that you,
0: you can get into into some places where where you're setting yourself up for success because there's there's a an ample amount of game back in there yeah i mean that's
1: if, if we were in their situation that's where we would want to go, we want to be left alone so exactly I think about that most of the places we went we didn't see people, so no you know that's kind of a testament to getting out of you know getting away from roads, getting away from where people are and and uh, really looking for for that game
0: and hindsight like you were you and I were talking, it would probably have been in our best interest to set up spike camp because I think uh if you remember right, we were doing nothing less than eight or ten miles a day because yeah. we were
1: coming back to town each day so. yeah no tactic would change for sure already <laughs> gonna change but um you know that's something you live and learn i mean every year you go into some of these new locations and you know you may not expect to see anything next thing you know you're chasing elk every day and you're thinking god we ought to just stay up here but the thought of sleeping on a bed and having a shower is not a bad thing every, yeah. every three to four days so and i think that was the driver so it's application season. Um, I've been applying like a madman. I'm already through Wyoming, Arizona, Utah, New Mexico. Colorado's coming up here next week. Already got my Montana general elk license and deer license. So what uh, what do you have planned for the fall in 2017? Anything
0: in spe- I, uh, specific? or I had to put it on cruise control this year. So I got my points for Utah, Nevada, um, the few species in Arizona so far. I'm going to do the Wyoming, Colorado. I got my points in for Montana. But for me in 17, um, I'm looking forward to my first child. I'm expecting a son in May. So I look forward to actually spending a lot of time with them as a newborn. And maybe taking some time off of work and helping the wife out. That way she can go back to work and I can prolong daycare. Or whatever the case may be, so it's not a bad thing. Um, I always want to be out in the woods, but for me, I uh, I think the only other thing I'm going to try to do besides the normal California stuff here on public lands is is a uh, um, a deer hunt with you in uh, northern Montana. So yeah. and I'm
1: looking forward to that as well. So hopefully, it's going to be fun. Can get that done too. They can uh, go up for a late rut hunt in the week of uh, Thanksgiving and uh, go see if we can't push some of those high plains mule deer up in the northern montana front. So Oh man, I've always That's going to be fun. I've watched a
0: lot of uh hunting shows with northern montana game being put to the floor and it's always been of huge interest of mine, so yeah, when you threw that
1: on the table, I couldn't pass it up, so Yeah, it'll I, be a good trip. I mean, we can get up there in a day and a half, two days. You know, we can stay at our place and uh that'll give us you know, four or five days of hunting and then uh have Thanksgiving. And uh, we can round out that week if we haven't got anything. And then if not, we can we can bust our way home. And there's actually a lot of different places. I mean, you know, we'll probably center focusly on north central Montana. But there's a lot of other places that we could look at as well from a public land standpoint and go do some mule deer hunting. So, yeah, that'll be a good trip. I'm looking forward to that as well. Um, I am, so. am going to miss uh, being out there in the woods with you guys in September, though.
0: It's always something I've looked forward to after these last two years, but I'll be there.
1: I just won't be there. That's right. You'll be there in faith, but (laughs) there's nothing like chasing elk in September. There's just, there's nothing like it. I mean, a lot of people say that, you know, all I love to do is mule deer hunt, which I like to mule deer hunt. Don't get me wrong. But to me, there's nothing more satisfying than being in the elk woods when those animals are bugling like crazy and steam, just steam rolling out the nostrils most erratic behavior of an animal oh, man i tell you and uh it it's cool it's it's something that everyone should experience at least once in their life you've experienced it twice in your life and you're two for two so yes very you, uh, very fortunate you're the guy that blows all the odds out of the water <laughs> when they say you know 10 percent elk hunters kill elk well i always say that 90 that 10 percent of the elk hunters kill 90% of the elk, right? Which the other 90% of hunters, you know, typically kill that 10% of the elk. So, um, you don't typically see, um, you know, it's people year after year that kill elk that know how to do it and get it done versus the guy that it took him, you know, 15 years to kill his first elk. I mean, those are, that's a great thing, but normally, it's the guys every year, day in and day out, that get it done. That are the ones harvesting elk every fall. So yeah, I have, I have a pretty good team around me, though. So well, yeah, you know, it always helps to surround yourself with good people when you're out <laughs> elk hunting. But uh, yeah, the RNA boys, they'll uh, they're making a trip out here. Um, yeah, actually, this month this it's month, already April twenty seventh. April Fools. That's right. So we're gonna show them a good time, and then uh, they always show us a good time when we go up to Montana. So. We're looking forward to that. Okay, um, let's kind of round out the discussion and talk through a couple scenarios and tactics, uh, a couple things that you know we've actually a been faced with or b could be faced with throughout our spring turkey season. So um, here's an example where you've got the old juvenile Jake sitting there at 20 yards, and you know there's a tom in the distance because you can hear him gobbling, but he just won't close the distance. So I'm even thinking about today's experience where we've got this. Bird just gobbling like crazy at hundred yards, but never no, would come out. Never no. never would give us anything. So in your case, in your current scenario, would you shoot the Jake? You got him at twenty yards, or would you wait to see if the Tom would give you a shooting lane if he'd come in?
0: Um for me I'd I'd take the Jake. Um in California are allowed three turkeys during spring season. Yeah. And I've never shot a turkey yet, so I'd go ahead and take the Jake and uh, if I stayed persistent enough, maybe we can get back in that same area and and uh, maybe be lucky enough to call him in and have another opportunity. So
1: I'd definitely take the Jake. Absolutely absolutely. Yeah. I guess the beauty in that is, is with a bow you don't get many opportunities at a legal bird at twenty yards. Right. And let's per se, you smack the Jake, runs off. Who's to say you don't sit there and continue to call and maybe that Tom ends up curious and coming in too. So you could double up. That would be kind of cool. That doesn't happen very often with a bow. No unless you smack two at one time, which I've seen that happen before. Not actually in real life, but I've seen that, that shot happen before. So, Okay, so another scenario would be uh, birds are running away. They've been spooked. So I even to use the example, late this afternoon, we had those hens kind of spook out, and there was that tom that you spotted. Um, do you prefer to do more of a run and gun where you kind of get in after them and continue to push them? Or would you like to try to let them settle down and do, like, a calling sequence where, you know, we're using calls and decoys? What do you think is a better tactic?
0: Well, we we did those both today, right? So I think it kind of depends on the situation and the landscape. If they've been spooked and you could run and gun without being noisy or be seen, then I would say run and gun for sure. But if, they, if it's kind of open country and it might be a little noisy with dry leaves or what have you, I think
1: you'd... Try to let them settle down, so you can try to call them back in and see what see what happens. I think a lot of it is is based on the time of day. You know, it seems like in the morning they're moving. They're, they're like real vocal in the morning, trying to get to a place. Right, like they're they're they've got their heart set on getting to a certain location first thing in the morning. They are moving. They're very vocal, so they're easy to pick out. You know, first thing in the morning. And I think I noticed this morning. They were vocal up until about 9 o'clock. And then there was that one that just continued. <laughs> yeah. And it uh, was it 11 o'clock. We oh, yeah. We were driving back and he was still... Still gobbling. He yep. was still gobbling on the hill. So. Well, and then we come back at three thirty, four o'clock in the afternoon and he's still gobbling. So. Yeah. Yeah, he... There's something going on with that bird. Because <laughs> his hens really weren't hanging around with him either. His hens were dropping off the hill. They already fed out, well, right? Well, he kind of continued to sit up on the mountain and, and gobble away. But yeah, I think in that situation, I'm more, especially with a bow, I'm not a big run and gun guy. Um, because it's just harder to pick them off. I, I really like trying to do the calling sequence or setup if it's possible, let them come in on their own terms. Yeah. Or, I mean, to me, spot and stock, if, if I can see a bird or we can see them, um, I love just trying to get in as close as I can without even blowing a call. Um, last weekend did that got within less than you know 10 yards of a few jakes and uh it was just cool to be able to to not, I didn't even hear them I just spotted them and kind of worked my way in and uh there was there was four jakes in this group that that came within you know a couple of them within less than 10 yards so and I didn't even blow a call last weekend so didn't wow. even once so that's kind of cool if you can if you can get them to do that but Sometimes that's difficult. Okay. And the last scenario, you've got birds on the roost. So they're up in the tree. Um, the boys are gobbling. Do you wait for sunlight and let them pitch out and see where they go? Or do you try to move in during the dark and try to get close enough to where when they do pitch out and they hit the ground, um, you can get in after them and hopefully have a shot opportunity at them? Um. I think gobbling on the
0: roost if you do if you can find that and you're able to locate it I think I think you would uh move in during the dark and try to get close. I've read many uh, articles on turkey hunting and a lot of the keys to their success are are actually finding the roost and getting in um in the dark and trying to get close so we're, that way you're in the middle of them when they do decide to fly down and uh so that that's I would I would probably try to move in in the dark and get close as long as you can be quiet. I mean, you don't want to go into an area that's so dense and and noisy that you're just gonna push them out of their roost before it's even sun, mm-hmm. before it's even sunlight. So,
1: what's kind of a crazy fact about Rio Grande turkeys is they can fly fifty-five miles an hour from a tree and anywhere from about a hundred to a hundred and fifty feet high. And secondly, they can run up to 25 miles an hour. I don't know if you knew that or not, but... No. So fly 55 miles an hour. They can fly as high as 150 feet, and they can run up to 25 miles an hour. Um, Part of that depends on the the actual type of turkey, but, um, you know, Rio Grande turkeys are, you know, one of the most common turkeys um, of the species of turkeys in the slam. Um, You know, they... They tend to typically be um, a little lighter in terms of weight from some of the other um, species of turkeys, um, but um, you know they really are you know characterized by their colors and uh, they're just pretty animals. Um, typically darker than your typical Merriam's turkey, um, they've got more of kind of that copper and bronze uh, in their tail fan, and they've even got some sheens of green in there as well, which I think just makes them such a pretty pretty bird but um you know some jakes can get anywhere from 20 to 25 pounds and you know your jakes will be in the 20 pound range and then you know typically your hens are you know in the 10 to 15 pound range um oddly enough today we came in on a hen today that actually what nested within Oh, 15 yards of us that was incredible and what did we find when we went back to her nest we we found an egg for we sure found one egg that was pretty cool yeah so they're in the process it's, of it's like she just walked up to us and just started hanging out with us that yeah. was awesome and we were kind of moving around trying to get that gobbler to come off the hill and she i think she knew we, we were there but she didn't I think, care i think she knew that we weren't of a harm and i think she clearly had to try to dump that egg mother so, instincts yeah that was pretty cool. Uh, what was cool is to go back and see the actual egg, you know, yeah. which is the future of of that of that bird, which is kind of cool. All right, so we've talked about a lot of topics. We've talked um, a lot about public land hunting. We've talked a lot about spring turkey, uh, which hopefully, um, well, you still got to run into town and get your turkey tag, don't you?
0: Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't realize you had to have a turkey tag here in California. But yeah. I um, heard it here in
1: camp. So. Yeah. I started questioning myself. <laughs> <laughs> so you haven't you haven't punched that tag yet. But um, thinking about overall today, if there was like one word or one thought that kind of wraps up um, kind of what you saw today or, or kind of your experiences, or how would you sum up today? Thinking about this morning's experience and and late this evening's experience, are you are you? Overwhelmed with the fact that there's this many birds in here. I mean, is it crazy to you that we've been getting into this many turkeys? Yeah, on public land. Yeah,
0: to sum to sum it up today would be probably incredible because, like Jeff Warren said in his article, "Feathered Elk." I mean, to get into the amount of birds we got into into an area where we're not familiar with that we've never hunted turkey in before and to have the opportunities that we did and to be able to call them and have them respond and them hold up and not come out just all these scenarios that just completely reminded me of elk hunting and then to be able to have that that kind of success without being successful is was pretty incredible for me today so
1: i've definitely got the bug now as far as turkey hunting goes yeah no i think you're you're hooked and it's kind of weird once you once you kill one you you're like jesus and now my whole my whole thing for you is is trying to get you a bird so um i didn't even pack my bow this afternoon because one i just have too much stuff but two um yeah I, it, it's just it's just too difficult carrying around all that stuff all the time so yeah i i think
0: i asked you this afternoon i said are you okay because you just started carrying your camera and and your box call so like, yeah. yeah, I'm fine. I'm just gonna try to help you get a bird, which
1: is greatly appreciated on my behalf. Speaking of that box call, I think it's in the truck. Is it? Yeah. Nightingale. I think the old K and H is in the truck. I'd slap one down, but I don't think she's. I think she's in the truck. Scratch some wood. <laughs> How's that? Oh, that's pretty good. I probably would call in a juvenile, Jake. Hey, what's another thing that uh,
0: that you should look out for when turkey hunting in the spring? Mm.
1: I found about seven of them in my bed. Oh, yeah. Little critters that give you Lyme disease. Yeah. I've never had that many that I've had to worry about before. But... I was worried we weren't going to go hunting this afternoon. Um. You were. There's another one. There's another one. There's number four. <laughs> it seemed like every garment that I looked, that I looked or shook off, there was ticks on them. So I turned on my iPad and Brad Paisley came on. I'd like to check you for ticks. <laughs> Jeez, I don't know where we got all the ticks from, but yeah, we had we had a little tick fest going on around three o'clock today. When yeah, we
0: we the, both found, coincidentally enough. Yeah, I, I had said, oh, one I on just me. Had, I just found a tick on me, and sure enough, Lucas looked
1: on his leg, and there was a tick on him, too. Yeah. So. All right. Well, we're closing down here at the Mobile Williams Establishment. We're sitting in Kodiak Jack, and uh, <laughs> it's actually been a fun weekend, and uh, I've enjoyed myself. We've eaten good, too, huh? Uh, Kind of. Yeah, would we... First night, we had uh, Swiss sausage. Yeah. Wild boar. Wild boar sausage. And then we last night we had a little Italian sausage taco elk. salad. Elk, yeah. And then tonight was phenomenal. elk Yeah, elk backstrap tonight. Elk backstrap and a little corn on the cob, hizzy. That That's was true. good. Yeah, we've eaten well. we've I think we've put down one bottle of uh, Woodford Reserve Select and another half gallon of Crown Royal. Of course, the half <laughs> gallon was already drink, gone. But yeah, it's all right. I hadn't drank in almost two months. So it was kind of nice to kick back a little bit, but
0: well, on a good note, California is looking better and,
1: uh, we're looking,
0: we're looking forward to the opportunities moving forward with this anomaly, all this water. So,
1: yeah, we're only in weekend two of Turkey season and we've got a lot of Turkey hunting left to do. Um, I'm not saying we're going to each shoot three birds a piece, but, um, just having the encounters every day is a lot of fun. And I think for me, that's what it's about. I mean, just watching them in the wild and watch what they do i think is pretty cool they're amazing animals and people that have always given folks a hard time about turkey hunting i think i don't know i've got the bug i've had the bug since a couple of years ago after figuring out we actually had turkeys on public land because <laughs> it is it's the closest thing to elk hunting than yeah. elk hunting, it really is so I'm a firm believer in that they call it feathered elk for a reason i yeah i saw it today so well good deal Brandon, thanks for uh, being on the podcast and uh, coming on this evening. It's getting a little late. We've been kind of burning some midnight oil, getting up early, trying to get out to those spots. But I uh, thought it was important that we uh, we kind of sat down and talked about turkey hunting and talked about a little bit of your past and talk a little bit more about uh, you and some of your outdoor adventures. So if someone was to maybe want to get a hold of you or, or uh, understand um, – how they could, uh, you know, cook some turkey meat on the barbecue? How could they do something like that? <laughs> well, you
0: can you can find me on Facebook. Um, pro- probably, uh, I can probably give you the information so you can put it up on the site here and okay. give, my, give you my email. And I'll put my phone number on there. And hell, maybe I'll even
1: give some pointers on some recipes for wild turkey or something. You there know, you know? go. <laughs> you are Mister almost Mr. Wild Eats. Yeah
0: i'm trying some of those
1: seasonings it's uh it's one of my interests so I'm yeah a, i like doing it well it's cool when you can cross two of your passions one you know hunting and two cooking the actual game that you hunted i think that's pretty cool so yep. okay saturday night we're gonna close down and uh hopefully we'll have some pictures to post tomorrow hopefully we can put a bird on the ground for brandon over here and uh absolutely thanks for having me lucas yeah no problem All right, man. Well, we'll catch you next time for another adventure on the RNA Outdoors podcast. Thanks. Out. Done. Finite. Hey, everyone. This is Lucas Pa, host of the RNA Outdoors podcast. Please check out Podbean and iTunes. If you have an iPhone or iPad, go to Podcasts app on your device, search for RNA Outdoors, and hit the purple subscribe button. When doing this, it'll automatically upload when new podcasts are loaded and they will download into your queue. For Android users, you can access the podcast through Podbean, Stitcher, or just use our website, www.rnaoutdoors.com forward slash podcast. In addition, under the RNA Outdoors podcast channel, please leave a review and a five-star rating. These reviews help boost our popularity and outreach. You can also follow us on our social media outlets, Twitter at RNA Outdoors, Instagram at Rod N Arrow Outdoors, and Facebook, RNA Outdoors. All links are in the show notes as well. If you like what you've heard, we hope you'll pass along our channel to your friends and colleagues. Keep up the good fight. We cannot sit by and watch the public lands devoted to wildlife protection wither away. There's simply too much at stake. Make your voice heard, speak up, get involved with conservation efforts, and know that every little bit helps. As we say on the mountain, see you guys on the next ridge.